This Sunday obviously marks the start of, for some in this room, a moment to pause and breathe. And that's if you're involved in education, you know that you're about to hit half term. And it falls that sense of, oh, wow, I've got through that. Uh, just one more t- kind of half term to go till we hit the summer holidays. I just thought it'd be really important to, in this moment, pray for anyone who is in education. Uh, just because I think uh, there are lots and lots of outside pressures uh, on those in education. That isn't saying there's less in other fields, but I think particularly at that one at the moment, there is some particular uh, pressures there. And I just felt like, if you're in education, could you possibly, let's do it like you would in your place, actually. Why don't you put your hand up? Um, I, I think you do that. So if you're in education, put your hand up. Uh, if you're near someone in education, why don't you turn and put your hand on their shoulder? I'm just going to lead us in praying for them. It might mean we need to move around. Keep your hands up until someone's got their hand on your shoulder. And just where we are, I'm just going to pray for us. Jesus, I thank you for every individual in this room uh, who's kind of giving of themselves day in, day out uh, to ensure the next generation uh, are developed in a way that, that is benefit for all. And I just pray where they've given out this last half term, I pray would you now come and pour in. And we just ask, would you bring that deep rest that only you can deliver? I really ask that for this coming holiday. I pray, God, that it wouldn't be a continual thing of what's the next thing I need to get done before I go back, but a sense of just encountering with you, God, and knowing the rest that you have for them. And I ask, therefore, they'd go back knowing something of what we've already heard of in worship, of just that sense of being filled up afresh in order they can be poured out again. We ask this for your glory, Jesus. Amen. Um, I have the privilege of being married to somebody who's a teacher, and uh, Lucy, my wife, uh, works actually with Esther, uh, who's part of our Oasis, and they work together uh, in a school on the outskirts of Birmingham. And uh, Esther teaches RE, and sorry, Esther, I'm going to embarrass you, it is going to mostly drawn on to me, but Esther teaches RE, and within the lesson, one of the kids asks her, like, do you, do you go to church then, miss? And she's like, yeah, I go to church. Actually, I go to a church, the same church that Mrs. Hurst goes to. And then, no way, you go to the same church, and you know each other. You're like friends outside of school. And then, and then she says, oh, yeah, but there's something else. Actually, Mrs. Hurst's husband leads that church. At which point, one of the kids says, no way. Mrs. Hurst is married to God. <laughs> um, fortunately, that revelation immediately met with a response in this room. And we all know that that is definitely not true. Um, I don't know why I told you that. I just thought it'd be fun, to be honest. I thought um, it has nothing to do with the series other than it's quite a fun story. City Centred. <laughs> with this series, what we felt would be right is as we're landing here at the Mac, in a moment of transition, that it's so important that we don't see this as a moment of looking in. I'm saying, like, like, this is all about who we are as a community. Let's make sure we're all okay. But rather, a moment to remember that we're actually here for those that are not yet part of our community, that we're here in this amazing city of Birmingham and have been uniquely placed here, and therefore we need to continuously live with that sense of we're here for for those that are not yet part of us. And therefore this isn't a moment to look in, but a moment to look out. And um, we therefore thought it would be great to look and say, actually there are adventures for each and every one of us to be had or maybe that we'll already be having in respect to this city. And those of you who are kind of 
often look at the photos behind us of what kind of ties into the uh, series, you'll know that actually the image has changed from last week. We had a cityscape last week. This week we've changed to an image of the park and uh, Cannon Hill Park. And that was partly actually because of someone who's part of us, Joel. He saw me at the end and he said, look, I, I kind of get what you're saying, that we need to make sure we don't get locked in into the cinema rather than we need to continue to remember we're, we're here for something outside. And he said, wouldn't it be great if we created a window in the cinema that reveals what we'd see if a window was there. And so that's what that image is. It's literally what we would see if we were to knock through from this point. Now, we did talk to the Mac about the possibility of that, and um, <laughs> they weren't quite as up for that. But this is the best we can do at this point in time. And the image will change. We're going to look, kind of look at doing it at different points of the day in order that we'll see that it isn't just a beautiful park, though it is that it's often filled with people, which just will hopefully remind us that we're here in this room but we're here for those that are not yet part of it. Now, in it, what we've then said is we're going to use a scripture, if you like, to be our springboard throughout this series. And that's a scripture found in Jeremiah 29. And it's going to appear on the screen behind me. And in it, I'm just going to read it, and then we're going to launch on from this point. Uh, if you are around last week, you'll know that there's two things I've learned from last week. First one's this. Don't hand out popcorn as you start to speak. Because... 150 people opening bags of popcorn is incredibly noisy. Uh, next time we will have pop- popcorn again, but we'll do it in a slightly different way that won't create as much noise. The other is that I'm realizing that I've no longer got a screen that's there that I can read from, but rather have to kind of scoot over here and kind of host the screen for a minute by reading from it. Anyway, so Jeremiah 29, verse 4, it says this, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those I've carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage. So they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And from this passage last week, we kind of springboarded from it and to see that actually we're those that have been called to the city. And we've been called to the city by God, uniquely placed here at this moment in time. But we're those that aren't just called into the city, we're those that firstly have been called out of the city, called out of the city to be with Jesus, to come and understand that through his life, death, and resurrection, he's caused us to be those that are now forever loved and forgiven and accepted. But more than that, has called us in to his city that he is building, that one day will fill the whole earth and is full of his goodness and love. And we looked at that, and so it said that city that is to come, a city that's described in Revelation 21 22, is a city that is our destiny, but it's from that place that now we're to live as though we belong there, that Jesus then sends us back into this city, in order that we can be those who are called to be here, living in light of the city we belong to. Say, actually, let's bring what is to come into the city that we're in now. But through this series, we're then going to look at kind of from that call, what we then get to do in the city. We're going to look next week at what it looks like to bring, to prosper the city. The week after, what it looks like to bring peace in the city. And then finally, what it looks like to pray for the city. But before we get there of the kind of adventures that are there to be had, adventures of bringing peace, of prospering, of praying for the city, it's actually important for us to realize that there's an adventure to be had within before we can have an adventure through us. There's an adventure in us before we get to the adventure through us. 
And it's that that I want us to pick up on, because if you were around last week, you'll know that I talked about the whole thing, that we're to live like ambassadors, ambassadors of this city to come, that we belong in this city that's to come, and we're to live seeking to promote its benefits in the city we live in now. But in seeking to promote its benefits, we need to live like an ambassador, ensuring that we understand everything of the city we live in now, that we understand the culture. We, we kind of can learn, look, and, and live like people around, and yet are seeking to promote the benefits of somewhere else that we belong to. Now, the danger of living like that as ambassadors is that we then think, well, this is a duty. This is something I'm to do. I'm therefore to live saying, oh, yeah, I don't really belong here, but I better act like this. And there's a danger that we could rush on in and say, oh, yeah, we better seek to prosper the city. We better seek to bring peace to the city. We better seek to pray for the city because that's what we're meant to do. But that's not how God wants to lead us. That's not what God, how God wants us to kind of live out from. That God is always seeking to say, no, you, you live out all of this stuff from a deep place within. And actually what we find in even Jeremiah 29, that, that God was calling the exiles to not just operate in a certain way, but to be transformed inwardly, that would cause them to then be transformed outwardly in how they acted and how they lived. And you see it in Genesis, Jeremiah 29, verse 7, where if we skip a slide along, that God says, pray to the Lord for it, the city, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Now, in that, we could look at it and think, well, what God's asking the people to do then, we're going to look at how we pray for the city in a few weeks' time. But we could look at it and think, well, that's kind of obvious, isn't it? Yeah, if the city does well and you live in it, then you're going to benefit from it. So it's a kind of, if we like, kind of slightly selfish motivation, isn't it? Actually, I'll pray for this to do good, because if it does, then I'm going to benefit from it. But actually, what was going on in this was something that was implicit that every hearer would have heard because this was an instruction, a prayer being given that wasn't about the words they said, but about their heart and how they sought to live within the place. Because it isn't that this people would say, God, would you come and would you crush these people? It was actually, no, God, would you come and would you bless these people? And in it, what... God was saying is, I, w- I want to deal with your hearts and cause you not to just act in a certain way to this city, but I want to cause you to love this city. That was implicit in this command. It was a command to love the city in how you prayed for it. Why? Because actually for every hearer of this, what they're being asked to do for this city is what they were knew that they'd done over generations for the city that revealed who God was, the city they truly belonged to in Jerusalem. So if we haven't got time to look at all of it, but if we were to flick through to Psalm 122, there's a bit of it on here, verse 6. God says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May their peace within your walls and security within your citadels. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your prosperity. So what God's saying is, just as you love the home city, the city that is to be the revelation of who I am to the whole of the earth, seeking its prosperity, seeking its peace, you're now to act in the same way for this city that you're in. And the reason you're to act that way is you're to love it as you love the city that you belong to. And 
the same encouragement is there for us, that we now belong to this eternal, everlasting city of God, a city that we continuously, and I continuously bang on, talking about Revelation 21, 22, like a broken record. Keep reading it. Why? Because that's where we belong, and it's really important you understand where you belong, because it transforms how you live. But in it, it's that we're to seek and think, man, I'm so looking forward to dwelling with God forever there, but actually I'm then to live with my passion and love for that, in the same degree of my passion and love for this city that I've been placed in here of Birmingham. So the question then is, how do we love the city? See, there's an adventure to be had in loving the city. There's an adventure to be had through this passage of it. But I want us to there understand what does it look like. I want us to look at it briefly by saying what it doesn't look like, and secondly, what it does look like. To help us understand what it doesn't look like, I want to look at a character in the Old Testament, then when we get to see what it does look like, we're going to look at one who came who is God, Jesus, and how he sought to live towards cities. As I think that's probably a good example, isn't it? So we've got a guy in the Old Testament, Jesus in the New Testament. The guy in the Old Testament begins with J, Jonah. The guy in the New Testament begins with J, Jesus. We'll hopefully remember that, Jonah and Jesus. So what we find with Jonah, before we get to this passage, is Jonah is a prophet of God, a prophet of God that's called by God to go to a particular city, the city of Nineveh. And he's called to go there by God. And what we've got to understand about Nineveh is Nineveh was basically the capital of the superpower of the day, the Assyrians. And God says, you're to go to this city and say to them, look, I've seen what you're doing and it's not good. And Jonah hears this call and thinks, no way, I'm not going to do that. And basically God says, go east. He says, no, I'm going to go west. God says, go inland. He says, no, I'm going out to sea. And what we find through this story is what emerges is that Jonah isn't fearful of going to the capital of the Assyrians and saying, God sees what you do. You better watch out. He just doesn't want to do it. He doesn't want to do it because he knows what God's like. And he knows that actually there is a potential here that him telling a bunch of people that God's seeing what they're doing, it could actually turn them to God. Now, God pursues Jonah and says, hey, I'm not giving up on you. you. You are my plan A here of doing this. And eventually Jonah kind of begrudgingly goes and does it and gets this point of standing in the middle of the city and saying, God knows you better watch out, in brief, the Adrian Hurst version. The people of Nineveh then respond and go into fasting and saying, God, would you have mercy on us? And at that moment, Jonah can take it any, can't take it anymore. So he then departs from the city. And this is where we pick it up. So Jonah 4, 1 to 5. And it says this, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, oh, Lord, is this not... Is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what 
would become of the city. So Jonah's heart's exposed here. Suddenly he sees how the people respond to God and what Jonah says, I want out. I don't want anything to do with this. See, Jonah sees the plight of the city. And what it does in him is it does a few things. If we go to the next slide, it does these three things. Firstly, see, we find out that he says, well, I want out. I want nothing to do with this city. I don't want to see them kind of turn back to who God is and see God, who's gracious and compassionate, show mercy here. No, I want to camp outside. I want to be alone. I want to be in my little booth. If we've got more time, we could look at how he then grows a little plant with him. Has this little plant and says, you know what? Who cares about the people? I've got my little plant. Whole lesson that God does there. We haven't got time to look at that there. But just so you know, just because I keep touching my ear, basically this thing keeps dropping off. I think I've got a weird-shaped head and um, it's bugging me. So I'm sorry. It isn't like a weird reaction of me just doing this. Um, just so I should explain that. If I do this one, that is a weird reaction. Um, so Jonah goes to the city, and then immediately in response to what happens there, he wants out. He wants nothing to do with it. In terms of the plight of the city, he wants to see it condemned. He wasn't mercy here. This is a moment where he says, no, no, God, just take it out. Don't have anything to do with this. This is a moment to say, actually, I'm way better than these people. You know, you can't treat them like you treat me, God. Because that's putting me in the same place as them. That can't be true. So he wants them condemned. And the last thing we see is he becomes increasingly self-absorbed. At the moment of God revealing the wonder of his grace, his unconditional mercy and love and favor towards people, it causes Jonah to, in his little booth, say, actually, God, if this is how you're going to act, I don't even want to be alive. I don't want to live in a world where I can see your grace extend like this. I want out. I want to die. So self-absorbed. The the potential of living in a world where God shows mercy and grace to everyone. I don't want that. So if I first see, Jonah models beautifully how not to love a city. We don't love a city by wanting out. We don't love a city by seeking to condemn it. Now, this isn't a rallying call to go and stand at the corner of the bull ring with the, the bullhorn shouting out, you're all going to die. God's angry with you. This isn't that moment. This isn't a moment to get all absorbed about saying, no, this is about me. This is how I want it to be. Rather, to love the city is to love it like Jesus loved it. So what we find with Jesus is this. So we flick through what it's like. We'll get there. There we go. So in this, we find two moments where Jesus kind of reveals what he sees in the city of Luke 13, Luke 19. Firstly, in terms of this, Luke 13, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her? And you will not be willing. Behold, your house is forsaken. And I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Then Luke 19. As he, Jesus, approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it 
and said, if you, even you, had only known of this day, what would bring you peace? But now it is hidden from your eyes. See, Jesus, when he encounters the city, it's entirely different to Jonah. You see, where Jonah wanted out, Jesus says, no, I want in. That moment where he starts to say, no, I'm now going towards Jerusalem. And friends would have been said, yeah, but, but don't you understand they're against you? Like, people in your shoes, the prophets, man, they just get killed there. Jesus knew that. He knew what was heading for him, and yet he was like, no, I'm, I'm wanting in. The only way forward is to be in this. And so he says, for today, tomorrow, and the next day, I'm focused one track, I'm going into the city. He goes, rather than condemning, he says he's moved by compassion. That moment where Jesus is looking over the city, knowing everything that's about to come towards him in terms of the false accusations, the crucifixion, the taking on every single person's turning away from God, our sin, in order that he could bring peace for all humanity. And as he looks on this city, that's revealing the people that he's come for. He just weeps over it. Such is his compassion. He can't but be moved. And pauses and weeps. But it isn't just in terms of the city that he has compassion. It's also that he is filled with self-denial. That he knows the only way to bring peace in the city is for him to offer up himself. Therefore, Jesus says, actually, I'm going to give everything of myself in order that everyone can gain everything. See, in this, we could then look and say, okay, great, that's a jazzy JJ, Jonah and Jesus. Right, we don't want to be like Jonah, we want to be like Jesus. Let's just do that. But there's a danger at this point. There's a danger that's twofold. Firstly, there's this danger. is that I wonder that we can be more like Jonah than we want to admit. Last Tuesday evening, I get the privilege of taking my daughter, Rebecca, and one of her friends to Cottridge Park. We go there at about 7 o'clock, just going to go there. It's a beautiful day, just like today. There's around 50 people in a running club running around the park. There's a load of people sat having picnics. We're in uh, the uh, Rebecca and her friends go and sit and, and start playing out the playground. I've got a dog, Ted. What a great name that is. And I take Ted for a little walk while they're left in the playground. In it, this is Birmingham. This isn't the inner city. This is the leafy kind of little bit of suburb of Birmingham, Cottridge Park, beauty spot. And we're there, and as I take dog for a walk, get back, get nearer, can see the girls, and I realize they're not any longer in the playground. They're kind of stood outside, and they're really focused on a spot. And as Rebecca's friend sees me, she starts to run towards me, and I think, well, she doesn't normally do that. I wonder what's going on. So I jog gradually. I'm not a very, you know, pretty easygoing guy, so I just kind of jog. It's quite hot. Jogging towards her. As I get there, she said, we've just seen a teenager get mugged. And so I go and I meet them and say, what was going on? They say, well, this, this teenager was on a bike and a guy jumped out of the bush and grabbed him and said, give me your, and then they used some, they said, they said the naughty words. They said the naughty words and tried to grab his back. And he said, then they ran off and the, and, and the teenager dropped his bike and that kid there has got his bike and the teenager ran off into the park and the guy ran after him. We've got to do something. And so I said, okay, well, let's go and talk to that kid. And so we go and talk to the kid who's got the bike. He said, look, is this a friend of yours? No, I don't know him. I'm just taking the bike to hide it. I said, well, let's go and try and find this teenager. I say to my daughter and her friend, I said, I wonder if you should stay here. And they said, no, no, we're coming with you. We want to make sure they're all right. So we make our way uh, through the park, getting nearer 
the kind of beauty spot of Cadbury's. And as we're getting to the edge of the park, the girls suddenly see this bloke in the corner. They say, that's the guy. That's the guy who mugged him. And I'm thinking, okay, now I'm here with two 10-year-olds. How's this going to go down? This guy is kind of from me to the top of the cinema. And as I look at him, I suddenly realize that he has a massive knife in his hand, a machete. And so I freeze, and I say, girls, we can't go any further. And this guy with the machete just stood there, and then he sees me. And as he sees me, I look, and then two other guys appear to my left, and, and they've been chasing him, it seems. And at this point, the guy just, just sprints off and starts hiding in bushes. Cut a long story short, I then call the police. They turn up, and they take it from there. Here's the deal. At that point, being in a park on a weekday evening at 20 past seven, and then seeking to console and make some sense with some 10-year-olds how someone would hide in a bush by a playground and jump out with a machete, there was some in me that thought, I want out. Because I reckon if you live in some little quaint little village, generally people don't jump out of bushes with machetes. It seems to be that it's a bit more kind of slightly nicer there. And in it, I knew at the back of my mind, I'm thinking, I'm about to talk about loving the city. And in this moment, I had a decision. Jonah, Jesus, one out, one in. Because it's there. It's there when I meet people who are not quite like me. See, it's easy to love people who are like me. It's easy to love people who like me. But what about the people who don't like me? What about the people who are totally different to me? It's those that that Jonah thing kind of comes up and we have to say, no, no, we deal with this. I say, no, no, we're to call to love everyone. So we have to deal with the Jonas that can be in us. But we also have to deal with the danger of focusing on the outside rather than the inside. See, there's a danger in this to say, oh, yeah, let's just be like Jesus then. Compassion. Want in. Seek to live. Self-denial. That's it. Let's go and love the city. And it's just something we stick on the outside. And if we live that way, actually people are going to see through that. In actual fact, it's going to wear us out. Rather, we've got to do something that Jonah had missed out on and lost sight of. It's that to live like Jesus towards the city, to seek to love the city, actually how we've got to live is we've got to reveal what we've received. That's the only way we can live this way. That we've got to live revealing what we've received. What do I mean by that? I mean this, that it's kind of like a cycle. So if we jump to the last slide or this slide, that we, if we're following Jesus and we've got to that point of saying, Jesus, I've received through your life, death, and resurrection, the understanding that I am now loved by God eternally forever. Now, if we've never done that, actually, the invitation is there and saying, actually, through Jesus, you can know God's love like this. And God's love is a love that is of substance, A love that every single one of us, once we center our lives on him, gets to receive, gets to dwell in, gets to live from. A receiving of love that is unchanging. In other words, we've got this God who's continuously saying to us, I want in. I want relationship with you. There's never a moment that God's not saying, all right, today's a a bad day. I'm kind of not as loving today. It's first thing in the morning, not really an early morning God. 
Right? God's not like that. He's consistently loving towards us, wanting in. He's also one who is unconditional in his love. There is nothing that we can do to make God love us more or any less. That he's one who is always towards us with compassion. Seeking to say, I love you because I love you and want you to know my love. He's one that is continuously seeking to be sacrificial towards us. We see it with a benchmark of his love. That God demonstrates his love for us in this. What? Whilst we still sin as Jesus came and died for us. Benchmark, not how your life looks once you follow Jesus. Not how your life has looked before you get to Jesus. No, the benchmark of God's love for you forever is Jesus dying on the cross for you and for me. That's the benchmark. And we need to be those who are continuously drinking deep of this love. As Paul says in Ephesians 3, just saying, actually, we need to be those who dwell in the depth, breadth, Width, height of this love, exploring it because there's always more to explore of this love that's unconditional, unchanging and sacrificial. Because as we live receiving it, it has to cause us then to reveal it. It causes us to reveal a love that is unchanging, that says I want in. It causes us to live a love that is unconditional, that is saying actually I love everyone and anyone. It causes us to live a love that is sacrificial, that's saying it's about self-denial. I'm not here to gain, I'm here to give of myself. But it has to be that cycle because the danger is either we can like plumb the depths of the top bit of the receiving God's love and say, hey, yeah, let's just cram into a cinema. Let's just live lives that continuously say, I'm receiving your love, God. I'm receiving your love. But if you do that, you've not truly understood his love. Because the more and more you grasp of his love, it can only ever cause you to be shaped by it and to reveal it. The other danger is that if we don't see it as a cycle, we then think, all right, I've got God's love, I now need to reveal it. And if we give ourselves and saying, oh, I'm here to love the city, and therefore I'm just going to pour out continuously of myself into the city. And I'm just going to keep going and going and going. And we're going to look over the coming weeks of what it looks like to reveal this love as we seek to bring prosper the city, as we seek to bring peace, as we seek to pray for the city. We think, oh, no, right, what it is, I've just got to keep giving and giving and giving. If we do that, what happens is we just start to burn out. We get to a point of what was spoken of in worship by Miranda, of where we've been poured in and we pour out, and we get to a point where we think, actually, there's nothing else left to pour out. We have to live in that sense of continuously coming back and receiving of God's love in order that we can go on revealing his love. Here's the deal, I'll let you into something that I'm dealing with at the moment, is that my cycle of this has got out of whack. And so actually I've been revealing more than I've been receiving. And so what happens is this last week is I kind of realized that and just thought this is not good because what's happened is I'm pretty tired tired emotionally, tired physically, and tired with people. That's the point at which I know that actually I've got out of whack in terms of the receiving and revealing. And to that point, it doesn't mean that I go around just think, well, now's my ability to just get back into Jonah, then let's just be horrible to people. No, it's that I suddenly see that exposed to me and think, well, what do I need to do? I need to get the cycle back in line. I need to get back into that place of God. I just come back and say, I need more and more of your love. That's what I'm on. I want a point of saying, God, I need to make time to just allow your love to enrich my life again. And if you like, in terms of 
the arrows, there's, there's kind of a, a smaller arrow at the moment going to revealing because I know I need to just fill up the receiving. Now, isn't that at that point, I think, well, let's just carry on there. Let's keep the tap flowing. I'm just going to hang out here in a bath of receiving. And it's that I know that as that continues, as the balance gets there, I then get to reveal again. Because the revealing of God's love that's there at that point is way more precious and beautiful. But that's me, what about you? See, we're called to city adventures, but the adventure starts in us, of being those who love the city. But the question is, in our love for the city, how are we doing at the moment in receiving God's love? Are we someone who's just keeping God at arm's length? Someone who got to a point saying, well, actually, I kind of know this one. Are we someone who's saying, no, no, I'm all right, actually. I'm just continuously coming and saying, God, I want to every day just live from that place of receiving your love for me. And everything then gets to be revealed from that place. Where are we at at the moment in that? And secondly, how are we doing in revealing God's love to others? With this amazing privilege that we get to reveal the love that we've known in order that people who come into contact with us get to see what Jesus is like, get to know what Jesus is like, and get to experience firsthand what Jesus is like in order that we can then share Jesus with them as we just reveal God's love. Can I pray for us and then we're going to end? God, I thank you that your call to us to make a difference in the city isn't one that is something just about simply going off and doing things. It starts with us being transformed in the inside. And I just ask for every single one of us in this room, I pray would we be those who seek to understand more and more, seek to experience more and more your love, God. And I pray, God, that as we experience more and more of your love, that we'd reveal more and more of your love. God, we realize that we're living in a moment that's quite unique in our nation. We're actually increasing the city as being seen as a place to fear. Increasing the city is being seen as a place where there's division. And God, I thank you that there is also within that a desire to say, how can we love one another? And God, I thank you, Jesus, that you're the answer to how we do that. And I pray, God, that we'd be a leading light in how we seek to love the city and love all peoples within it. I really ask that for your glory, Jesus. Amen.